Thanks for joining us for Open Bible Online today. Open Bible Baptist Church has been in South Jersey for over 60 years. We love this community and we want to be a help to you. In order to help us help you in the best way possible, would you do us a favor? Please fill out the digital connection card posted in this link. Here you could post prayer requests and also ask any questions you may have about Open Bible. If you'd like to give today, you could give online in less than two minutes. Visit openbiblenj.org for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Now enjoy the service. How do you get good at something? Practice. I think all you guys know the saying that goes with practice, right? Practice makes... Ah, you want to preach the rest of my sermon for me too, David? (laughs) He's got a point. Practice does not make perfect. Practice makes, can we say, more permanent. But it does not necessarily make perfect. Um... Most of you guys who have known me, even if you haven't known me for that long, you probably know that I love hockey. I've been skating since like I was walking, you know, basically. And if I said, yeah, I, w- I was trying to improve my, my shot with hockey. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to hit the puck and it's going nowhere. I'm getting like two feet on it. I need it to go like 30 feet, 80 miles an hour. I'm not doing anything right. And you said, well, just practice. You'll get better at it. So I said, all right, I'll practice. So four hours a day, every day for a month. I just keep practicing, practicing. And I come back to you and I say, I'm not getting any better. At that point, you say, what, what are you doing wrong? So, of course, I go and uh, I grab my stick because, you know, we're, we're here in New Jersey, so we always have hockey sticks with us. Um, probably the first time a hockey stick has ever been used in an illustration at Open Bible. <laughs> Might be the last, too. You, know, you never know. But um, so I grab this, and I say, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm practicing. Got to get enough room here. Um, I'm just I'm shooting like this. I can't figure out why it's not going anywhere. That's when all of you would go, oh boy, this kid needs help. You already knew that, but it's even more so now. You see, you're supposed to use two hands, or you're supposed to use it like this. Just because I'm practicing doesn't mean I'm getting any better. I'm just getting better at doing it the wrong way at that point. Practice does not make perfect. Proper practice makes perfect. Now imagine with me if I, I had my form a little bit better, but I still wasn't doing great. As far as I know, there are no professional hockey players here in the room. If there are, come talk to me afterward. We need to share some stories. Um, but let's say there were, for, for illustration's sake. Say Wayne Gretzky or Sidney Crosby or Bill Barber, some, someone who was like really great, one of the, the greats of hockey, who wrote the book on it, literally in some of those cases, was here. Do you think they could help me with my shot? Oh, yeah. You imagine having Wayne Gretzky right here and it says, oh, yeah, you just need to bring your hand a little lower, move your hip like this. All right, now imagine if I said to him, Wayne, thanks, I'm glad that works for you, but I got my way of doing this. Like, I know you're saying put my hand here, but it really works for me here. Like, that's all right, right? You guys are smiling at me like, this kid's an idiot. <laughs> he has no clue what he's talking about. We wouldn't do that. And if you don't like hockey, fill it in for whatever sport or, or hobby you like. If you had the best of the best that showed you how to do it, and you said, I'm good, this is what I'm comfortable with, this is what I know. I'd say, that's ridiculous. And it is. It is for hockey. It is for Christianity, too. You know, we have an illustration sort of like this in the Bible, in, in the Gospels, where um, the disciples have been watching Jesus for a while, his followers, and they've noticed that there's something different about his prayer life. They notice that when Jesus prays, stuff happens. Miracles happen. Lives are changed. And 
a lot of times we see ourselves in the disciples, they realize that's not exactly how my prayer life looks. And I think if we're honest, a lot of us fall in that category too. Uh, We'd look at Jesus' prayers and say, my results aren't quite like your results. So the disciples decide to go up to Jesus and they say, I need that in my life. They say, what's your secret, teacher? Teach us to pray like you do. It's like learning hockey from Wayne Gretzky on steroids, right? Like, this is awesome. And the next several minutes, I want to then look at Jesus' response to the disciples. And we're at a prayer meeting, Bible study on Wednesday night, so what better to study than prayer? And who better to study it from than God himself? Now, his response is really familiar to us. We've come to call it the Lord's Prayer. And even if you did not grow up in church, there's a pretty good chance you could recite it with almost word-perfect accuracy. Uh, In fact, let's give it a try. Let's see with our Father here if we can do it. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are trespassed. (laughs) See, there's Matthew and Luke. We're getting a little bit of both. That's all right. Forgive us our, yeah, give us our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Yeah, that was pretty good. Like I said, we've got it in Matthew 6 and Luke 11, so we've got a few differences, but it's the same general idea. So we're already off to a good note. You guys know the subject material. We're all on the same page here. But I believe that even though we were able to quote that with at least pretty fair accuracy. (laughs) There is so much in this prayer that is life-changing. And I can say, if you have never had your life changed by this prayer, you haven't considered the prayer enough. And so my goal here tonight is to get you thinking about prayer the way that Jesus did. I believe that if we look at this prayer in the eyes of the way that Jesus presented it, we will be able to have life-changing, earth-shattering, heaven-moving prayer, even by the time that we leave here tonight. I believe that is possible, and I aim to see that in your life and in mine. Sound good? All right, let's dig in. Matthew 6, verse 7. And I'm not going to have an exact one, two, three point outline uh, here tonight because Jesus didn't. Uh, This isn't a college classroom lecture. This is a prayer that we're studying. Uh, So we're just going to hit the highlights and see how, according to Jesus, this is the best way, the most effective way for us to pray. He has been, uh, Matthew sets us up as being a part of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus has been taking pot shots at the religious people in the crowd here for a while. In verse 7, he challenges his, his followers to step out of the hypocrisy of, well, religious people, the way that most religious people live. And he says in verse 7, when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they'll be heard by their much speaking. Now, in our tradition, our Baptist denomination, we hear the preacher quote that verse and we sit back in our pew a little bit and we go, oh good, we're, we're good on this one. Like I can say amen to this point. I'm not like Catholic or Methodist or something. We don't use those pre-written prayers. We don't use vain repetition. I'm good to go. Not quite. <laughs> See, when Jesus speaks, it cuts to the heart of all of us. And this certainly does as well. You see, this is not about pre-written prayers. Did you realize that you can use vain repetition without ever once quoting a pre-written prayer? Did you realize that you can use a pre-written prayer without using vain repetition? (laughs) You see, the actual meaning of those words, use not vain repetition, is literally stop stammering. 
That's the literal translation. Stop stammering. Or if I could smooth it out a little bit, stop speaking aimlessly in your prayers. That's what that means. You ever pray, man, I'm going to get myself in trouble here. <laughs> you ever pray with someone and you're praying for Aunt Susie's hip, right? You're supposed to be praying for Aunt Susie's hip. And when they get done praying, about 20 minutes later, we're on Russia and Ukraine now. And you're just going, how is how? How did we get from here to here, right? Stop speaking aimlessly. Too often in our prayers, we go from here to here to this to that. And I'm not saying we can't pray for what's on our mind. That's kind of the whole idea of prayers. We're bringing whatever is on our heart before God. But Jesus is saying that in prayer, especially in public prayer, there should be an order. There should be a purpose. There should be a structure. That means that if you're praying for a meal, that should not be a five-minute long prayer. We're praying for the meal. It means that if you're praying for a revival service that's coming up next week, it's time to be praying for the revival service next week. And again, that's not to say that you can't ever have extemporaneous prayer. You can't, um, I'm not saying that you can't have um, a specific request that you just, it's on your heart and you want to pray for it right there. That's not what Jesus is saying. But what he is saying is it's not good to just ramble in our prayers. It's good to have order. That's why we have these that we pass out every week, so that we have order in what we pray for. And we don't just trust our memories. Um, some people even use a prayer journal. If you've never done that, I recommend everybody do that at least once. It's not for everyone, but it's where you actually write out your prayers. And it makes you very intentional. It makes you think about what you're praying. You'd be amazed how much you say in prayer without realizing that you're even saying it. So the things that when you're able to stop and actually think about it, it makes it more meaningful. That's not for everyone, but it can help some people. So apparently, according to Jesus, prayer is best done orderly. In fact, Spurgeon has been quoted as saying, a Christian's prayers are measured by weight, not by length. Can I say that again? A Christian's prayers are measured by weight, not by length. Mo many of the most prevailing prayers have been as short as they were strong. I've heard too many preachers guilt their congregations over the amount of time that they pray. Bless God, you're not going to get anywhere with five minutes alone with God. O okay, with all due respect to someone who would say that sort of thing, what if that person didn't pray at all last week? And that's five minutes more than they're used to praying. And who says five minutes with God doesn't do anything? Um, if you count out the words of this thing that we call the Lord's Prayer, it's somewhere around 70 words, depending on which translation, if you're doing English, Greek, what it, Luke, Matthew, it's about 70 words. When we said it here, I was timing it on my phone, it took less than 30 seconds. And that was Jesus' example of prayer. Now again, I want to be clear, there is nothing wrong with, like, if, if you're the type of person who, you say, well, I carve out a half hour, I get up early and I like to pray, nothing wrong with that. Please do not let me discourage you from that. If that is what you like to do, please go for it. But where I think a lot of Christians find themselves is in a spot where they feel guilted over, I didn't spend an hour alone with God in prayer. And I think what Jesus is trying to get across to you is single mom who prays for five minutes while doing the dishes or 10 minutes when the baby's asleep, or dad who works two jobs and is only able to pray on his way to work. I think what Jesus is saying is, that's okay. You are not less of a Christian 
than somebody who gets up at four in the morning to pray for an hour. Now, if you get up at four in the morning to pray for an hour, great. But if what you can get is the time you can get, it's better than nothing. And that is the message that Jesus is getting across there. Notice how Jesus says, don't pray like the heathen do. Heathen means pagans, uh, people of a pagan religion. You know how heathens pray? Think like Elijah and the prophets of Baal. That's how heathens pray. They constantly repeat themselves, trying to get the attention of their God. Maybe if I say this loud enough, if I say this enough times, finally my God will pay attention to me. I know none of us would ever say it, but how often is that what our prayers are? If I just say this maybe one more time, God will hear me. Maybe he didn't hear me the last time. Maybe I was supposed to say it one more time. Maybe I sinned in the last 30 seconds and he didn't hear this last prayer that I said. And we start worrying, did God hear this prayer? Should I say it just one more time? What if I had said it one more time? Would he answer? And we end up with a spirit of fear that, what does the Bible say a spirit of fear doesn't come from? Can I let you in on a little secret? That's not much of a secret. Jesus let the cat out of the bag 2,000 years ago. God heard you the first time. You don't have to worry about that. You do your part and let him do his. Now, what I am not saying is you shouldn't ever pray for something repeatedly. Don't get that out of it. It's good to pray repeatedly. What Jesus is talking about is within the same prayer. You ever had a time when you were praying, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example here. Uh, let's, let's say you need a new car. You say, Lord, please provide a new car for me. And provide a car. I really need a car guy. Like, can you get us a car? That... He heard you the first time. Pray for your car. Get up and go and trust he's going to lead you to the right car. Now, if it comes to mind later in the day to pray for it again, stop and pray for it again. One time. And then go and live your life. And if it comes to mind, pray for it again. It's not, it wouldn't be good for us to take this list and just keep praying repeatedly for the exact same thing. We'd never get off of the first name. If we prayed for Pastor Yanizzi and we just kept praying, oh, maybe God didn't hear me the last time. Maybe I should pray for him again. He heard you. Go down through the list. Pray for the deacons now. Pray for the staff now. Go down through. And if it comes to mind later in the day to pray for Pastor again, pray for Pastor then. Stop speaking aimlessly in your prayers. Now, again, I am not saying a long prayer is a bad thing. I am not trying to discourage you from praying a lot. What I am trying to share with you is what Jesus said, that much speaking, as the King James puts it, isn't getting you in good with God. See, if you pray a lot, that's good. If you pray a lot because you want God to be happy with you, that's bad. Because no amount of your religious work gets you in good with God. Let's talk about verse 8 for a minute, because this one's a brain bender. Jesus said, be not therefore like unto them, for your Father knows what things you have need of before you ask. You catch that? God knows what things you need before you ask. Now we hear that and we think, why am I supposed to ask then if you already knew it? Like, what's the point? Jesus says, no, you got it backwards. It's not why ask if God already knows. It's because God already knows, then you can feel free to ask. You see, prayer is not about letting God in on the problem. Prayer is not giving new factual information to an omniscient God. Prayer is not letting God know the problem. Prayer is letting God know that you now know the problem and are ready for his solution. Can I say that again? Prayer is not letting God know the problem. Prayer is letting God that you now know the problem and are ready for his solution. 
You know, it's not like um, <laughs> when you're a teenager and you bang up the fender of your parents' car <laughs> and you're afraid to go tell your parents that you banged up the fender of the car because you're afraid of what their initial reaction is going to be. They're going to freak out. Gotta... Jesus is saying, don't bother about that. God already knows about the busted fender. Just go tell him so that you can at least start working on fixing the fender. Stop worrying about the fact you busted it and go ask for help. God's just waiting for you to acknowledge that you need him. Now let's get into the actual prayer. Matthew 6, 9. After this manner, pray you, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. All right, let's hit some highlights. We could spend hours on this, but got to stay on track. Focus first on our. For years I read this prayer as if it was saying, My Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But is that what your Bible says? Hmm. Our Father. One of the most beautiful and frustrating things, and yes, I know those sound conflicting, one of the most beautiful and frustrating things about church is the community. See, here in America, we are a very individual society. In the West, it's about me. I come first. Throughout most of human history and most of the rest of the world, it's been about the community over the individual. That's certainly the way it was in Jesus' time, in his community. Um, and everybody has a different personality. Some people are community people. Some people are individual people. We call them extroverts and introverts. I am an introvert. I am very much a keep-to-myself person. And, and that's okay. Some of you are the exact same way. There's nothing wrong with that per se. But where the danger is is that people like me and like some of you, we isolate ourselves from community when God made us for community. And 1073 New Brooklyn Road is where I come a few times a week to remind myself that my God is bigger than me. That, get this, God is bigger than my religious experiences and preferences. Can I let you in on a little secret here, too? I don't like everything that happens at Open Bible sometimes. I'm apparently never preaching here again, either. I don't like every song we sing. I don't agree with every sermon that's preached. Don't you dare look at me like that. I'm just saying what you people have been thinking this whole time. There's not one of you in here that likes every song, every sermon, every decision the deacons or pastor makes. Not a one of you. So why do I keep coming back? Because the word before Father is our, not my. According to Jesus, Christianity cannot be lived in a bubble. Prayer is not meant to be lived in a bubble. He goes on to say, hallowed be your name. Hallowed, that's not a word we use anymore. I'm guessing you haven't used that in a sentence this week. Uh, but it's a very old English way of saying holy. And we can be tempted to read this as a statement. Holy is your name. Hallowed be your name. Your name is holy. But that's actually not it. This is not a statement of fact. It's actually a request. For any grammar nerds in here, it's an imperative of entreaty. The idea is that Jesus is saying, may your name be seen as holy. We're supposed to ask that God's name be seen as holy. Some of you are looking at me really funky right now, and I'm like two sentences away from losing you, because <laughs> you're sitting here going, wait a minute, isn't God already holy? Do I really need to pray that? Would that change anything? Would... Yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> All right, stay with me here. To be holy is to be unique. It's to be set apart. It's to be different from anything else, right? We good on that? God is 100% holy. Always has been, always will be. That ain't changing. So notice that we're not praying for God to be holy. 
were to pray for his name to be holy. In an ancient culture, your name was tied to your identity, your reputation, the way people saw you. Um, it's like, not, not so much with my generation, but maybe with a Gen X or, or Boomer or anyone older than that in here. You ever have uh, something, you, like you were a little kid and you wanted to do something and your parent says, no, we don't do that. Why not? Well, because you're a, fill in the blank with your name, Connor, and Connors don't do that. Anyone have their parents say that to them? When they're, yeah, right? That's this idea. Your name is tied to how people see you and what you do. This is where knowing a little history helps big time. Jesus was living in post-captivity Israel. They had been not in charge of their land for uh, roughly 700 years at this point, give or take. Now, the Tanakh, what we call the Old Testament, frequently speaks of the Israelites as being holy, being set apart because they had the name, the holy name of Yahweh, which was set apart in and of itself. And the whole idea was that the nations around were supposed to see the way Israel was, the society they were, the way they were living, and say, I want that. I want that God. That would be God's name being holy in the earth. But the last thousand-ish years of Israelite history, his name was anything but. In fact, it was essentially a laughingstock with the way that the people had lived. So Jesus is sitting here on top of a thousand years of Jewish history where God's name was not seen as holy at all. And he believed he could be the spark to reignite the flame of God's holy name amongst the nations. And he said that we should pray for that to be done in our lives as well. You say, well, how? How, how, how could I even do that? Well, it flows right into the next verse. Look at verse 10. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. You guys doing all right? I know we're going a mile a minute here. We got a lot. All right. There's a lot packed into this prayer, right? It's already so different than the way we pray a lot of times. There's so much in this. Question on this verse, and you don't have to answer out loud per se, but I want you thinking of an answer in your mind. What are we praying for when we say, thy kingdom come? Are we asking for the world to end so we can all go to heaven? <laughs> uh, from the smiles I'm seeing, I think a lot of you have heard that kind of thing before, have maybe thought that yourself or heard that preached. But actually, no. Notice that Jesus didn't say, your kingdom come, the earth be gone so we can all go to heaven. <laughs> he spoke not in terms of flying away to glory one day, but of earth becoming just like heaven. He says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. God's kingdom is already fully active in heaven. God says it, it's, there we go, it's done in heaven. Is that the way earth works? No, not since the fall. But what Jesus is saying is we can start living like it is, because one day that's going to be true. One day, when King Jesus reigns over the entire earth, God's will will be done like that, whether we're in heaven or in earth. That ain't the way it is yet, but we can start living like it is. We can start living in our own personal lives like a reflection of that. We can start praying, God, one day, this earth is going to be like heaven. It ain't there yet, we're not there yet, but can my life start being like that? The hope of Christianity is not to escape to a sweet by and by in the clouds with harps and halos. That's actually a heresy that stems from Greek philosophy. The Apostle John, uh, he preached against it in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Read Revelation. Our story ends on a very physical earth, a very renewed, not just heaven, but earth. 
Our story isn't about escaping this earth. It's about God remaking Eden on earth. It's about God making heaven like earth. Now, we're not there. And we've got to get Jesus back for that to happen. But we can start living like it now. So when we pray, your kingdom come, we're not praying for the rapture to happen tomorrow. You ever hear somebody, some Christian say, I'm just praying Jesus would come back today. Now, would it be nice if Jesus came back today? Yeah, I'd like to see him. I'd like to no longer have to pay for gas in the car and everything else right now. But we're never commanded to pray that. What Jesus does recommend we pray is that just like God's will is done in an instant in heaven, that our will would be bent to his so that there is no delay in seeing his will achieved in my life. Jesus tells us next to pray, give us this day our daily bread. (laughs) One author gave some possible variations on this prayer for different people. He suggested the warrior's prayer. Give us today our bread for tomorrow. (laughs) The prosperity prayer, give us this day enough bread to retire. And a BMW also. (laughs) The atheist prayer, give us this day, you know what, never mind, we'll get our own bread. (laughs) The jealous prayer, give us this day our neighbor's bread. And my favorite, the social activist prayer, give us this day our locally sourced organic non-GMO bread. (laughs) But the Lord's prayer is give us this day our daily bread. Notice that community aspect again. It's not my daily bread. Our. We pray this like it means, Lord, fill my fridge today. And then we wonder why this seems to have no effect here in America. (laughs) where we've got our fridges and our pantries and our cupboards stocked full for more than a day, for more than a week, sometimes a month. But can I tell you that this verse applies just as much today in 21st century America in Williamstown, New Jersey, as it did 2,000 years ago in Jesus' day? Because of that word, our. See, we're not praying for Jesus to stock our fridge today. Just because we live in mostly middle-class America does not mean that there isn't somebody on your street or on your street corner, or maybe even in the pew next to you who could use a helping hand today. See, God doesn't just give me my daily bread. He gives our daily bread. And if I end up with an abundance, that does not mean it's time to stock my pantry. It means it's time for me to see who doesn't have a stocked pantry. In my community, maybe my church community, maybe my actual community, someone on my street. Yeah, maybe someone on my street corner that I don't even know their name. Maybe my abundance is to help their lack. Now, you guys still with me? Because this is, this is about to get even tougher here. We're not through it yet. Verse 12, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Luke, uh, Luke's version says sins instead of debts. It's the same thing. A sin creates a debt. Maybe not a financial one, but a relational one. Uh, so whether you use either of those terms, an offense, a hurt, whatever term you use, it's the same thing. You actually stop and think about this one for a second. Jesus is suggesting we pray for God to forgive us in direct proportion to how we forgive others. If God forgave you in direct proportion to how you've forgiven the people in this church and in your neighborhood and at your job, on a scale of one to ten, how forgiven would you be? Now, lest you think I'm too smug with that question, my answer was, uh, I think, less than five when I thought about that, honestly. Let's look a couple verses later. If you for, verse 14, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you forgive men not their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. 
talk about hard to swallow. Does, God, does this mean God forgives based on my actions? Is this work salvation? Is this what? Not exactly. <laughs> See, this is not talking about forgiveness for salvation. Jesus was speaking to the disciples. He was speaking to people who already believed in him. He is speaking to people he believes is all, they're already on their way to heaven. So it's not forgiveness for sin, from, for salvation like we usually think of. It's after that. And he's saying, don't expect God to be okay with you if you're not okay with the people around you. That sound extreme? It's okay to nod your head. It is. It is extreme. Until you remember that Genesis teaches we are all the image of God. We are God's representations here on earth. That's why when, when uh, Moses was up on the mountain, Mount Sinai with God, giving the Torah, the instructions, and God said, I don't want any images made of me, it was because he already had images. An image, an idol, is a representation of a God on earth. He already had that. And you're looking at it. So am I. We are God's images. And so what God is saying is, don't expect me to be okay with you if you're not okay with my representatives. It would be like, imagine if somebody insulted your mom. Not, not a yo mama joke, but like actually insulted your mom. And then turns around and says, hey, you want to go grab pizza? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> like, I'm not okay with you until you're okay with my family. God's the same way. How you doing? Does this sound anything like the average prayer that you pray on a daily basis? <laughs> it doesn't for me. But I think Jesus is trying to lead us into life-changing prayer. I'm not saying we have to pray this word for word, but if we follow this idea, it leads to the kind of result that Jesus got. And that's worth it. Let's tackle the ending here. We only got a few minutes left. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Does it feel weird for you to ask God not to lead you into temptation? Some of you are just thinking about this for the first time. You're going, wait a second, does he have a habit of doing that? Like, what, what in the world? What happened to James where it said God doesn't tempt people? This verse is weird, right? It, it is, okay? It's okay to nod your head and admit that the Bible's weird sometimes. Not every verse is in the Precious Moments Bible. <laughs> and there's a reason for that. But it makes it fun for us as adults. If every, moment was in, if every verse was in the Precious Moments Bible, there'd be nothing left for us to learn. There's a lot left to learn. And this is weird, and this is where English doesn't help us out so much here, because our word tempt has a very negative connotation. It's, when you see that word in the Bible, it's better translated as test. Because a test can be positive or it can be negative. It depends on the motives of the person who's doing it. Are they trying to trip you up? That, that would be a negative test, that's a bad thing. Or are they trying to give you a chance to prove yourself? Well, that could be positive. Either way, none of us like tests. And if you were that really weird kid in school who did, that's, that's not normal, that's not okay. We don't like tests. And Jesus knows that. And he says, that's okay. He says, it is okay to ask God not to go through a period of testing. Lead us not into test. It's okay to say, God, it's been a rough year. Can you put me on the bench for a month or two here? Like, I am not ready to go through something else right now. And if you think that's a little weird, just remember that Jesus actually prayed that himself. Further on in the book, Matthew 26, 39, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says, Father, not, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But the key is the next phrase, not my will, 
yours be done. The key, the hinge is even here in the rest of this prayer, deliver us from evil. You see, on life's journey, as you are following in the footsteps of your loving father, as you are following in the good shepherd, there are going to be sometimes you're led through mountains. There are going to be sometimes you're led through valleys. There's going to be some good times. There's going to be some hard times. And so the key is whether you're in a good time or a hard time, an easy time, you can pray with confidence that God will deliver you from evil. The evil around you that wants to get at you and also the evil within you that leads you to do wrong. Why? Because all authority, power, and glory belong to our God forever. Amen. What a prayer. <laughs> that is only about 70 words. We rushed through it in 30 minutes. We could have taken like 10 more weeks on that. But I wanted to share it with you because Jesus' prayers were different than ours. If you came away from this and you're anything like me, you're, you're thinking, I have never prayed a prayer like that. <laughs> That's okay. What if you started today? What if you started this week? Do you think you might start seeing different results? I think so. I think it's worth a try. Because according to Jesus, what matters is not the length of the prayer. It's not the exact words that you use. It's remembering that you're praying alongside a worldwide faith community to a loving and ready-to-help Heavenly Father, our Father who is in heaven. And if your prayer request increases God's good reputation on the earth, hallowed be your name. It aligns with his kingdom priorities. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It includes and respects the needs of others instead of just self. Forgive us uh, forgiven debts and daily bread. And if it avoids evil, even in the times of testing, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil, then you can be assured that you are praying like Jesus would in your situation. And that's a pretty good spot to be in. So as we close out tonight, I am going to take the Lord's Prayer and I am going to modify the words of it slightly. Because you don't have to pray these words exactly. Uh, you can. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, Jesus gave it, so it's okay to do that. I know we're Baptists and we don't like using pre-recorded prayers. It's okay. It's also okay to change it a little bit. So I'm going to change it up as we close out. And I would encourage you to do the same. You don't have to follow along with me exactly. Pray your own version of the Lord's Prayer uh, along with this and see what changes in your life this week because of it. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, your name is great. Just as great and set apart as you are. And Father, I pray in my life and the lives of my friends here, that we would show your name to be great amongst the people around us, that they would see a difference worth going after. Father, I pray that just as in heaven your will is done in an instant, I pray that that would be the case in my life, that you would break down the resistance that I so often put up. And Father, I pray it would be true in my life and the lives of these here, my friends, that just as in heaven, your will would be done here on earth in us. That it would be a little piece of heaven, literally speaking, because of our lives in the circle of influence that we have. Pray that we would bring heaven to those around us. Father, I pray that you would continue to provide for us above and beyond, not so that we can stock our own uh, resources, but so that we can then have the eyes to see the needs in the community around us and share your love with the people that, are, that you have put there. Father, you are a forgiving God. And as you have forgiven me, I pray that I would forgive others and that I would show them the same love that you have shown me. 
Lord, we have all had hard times this year for many people in this church. They're going through hard times even now. I pray that you would soften that. I pray that you would lead us out of those times of testing and that you would deliver us from evil. Father, you have all power, all glory, all authority in heaven and earth. I pray, counting on that, because it's you who answers this. And we love you. In the name of your Son, amen. Thanks again for watching us online today. If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you can give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.